The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. For more details, please see a16z.com disclosures. You know, Connie talks a lot about the, the e-commerce ecosystem and just consumer habits more broadly in China, um, where they're so used to kind of, you know, seeing products through video and being able to purchase on the fly and having a different relationship and experience around shopping. So, you know, do we think the, the consumer here in the U.S. and the West is, is maybe behind in how we engage with brands and shop online? So I actually I'm, think social shopping is... Um... A, a very new trend that also has seen a lot of product market fit in Asia, where it can be shopping with friends, but it can also be shopping with strangers or shopping with people in your neighborhood. So for example, instead of going to the farmer's market, uh, you could have someone in your neighborhood just organize a bulk order for strawberries or fish or produce or anything like that. Um, and you're still doing a group buy social shopping experience, but not necessarily with the people you talk to on a day-to-day basis. That's actually, that's really interesting. Do you think, like, do you have a mental model of maybe like different experiences around, um, I guess, like how tight the social connections are? Like there are certain types of commerce experiences that you only do with your family or friends and then other ones that are more appropriate um, for, you know, the examples that you just gave. Yeah, I think it's a, it, it totally depends on the type of product, right? There's certain things you just don't want to tell the whole world that you're buying all the time. Um, but it also depends on how good the deal is, right? I think some of those group buys have been deal-based. I mean, just going back to why Groupon took off uh, way back when is when you buy as a, a bulk order, you just get better pricing. So sometimes it can be this random product that you just get a huge discount because you've amassed so many orders together. Um, And sometimes it can be something like food related, right, that is consumable, that might go bad, and therefore most likely that group purchase has to happen within a physical radius that's close enough where you can deliver the product pretty quickly. Um, But I think group buying and social buying is a new wave of shopping that we just are still seeing very, very early experimentation here in the U.S. Yeah, and I think there's there's also like a high intersection with that and an influencer led buying because you know from what i understand a lot of a lot of these group buying communities there's often a leader uh who totally within yeah within their community is the one that uh, galvanizes the group to make that purchase and whatnot so then from the brand's perspective or 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 the seller's perspective you know they're they're basically an influencer yeah and then you now also see some brands and sellers just going direct and saying i'm going to hire people to be those group leaders I think one of the one of the interesting layers of social commerce and social shopping is is you know commerce is historically transactional and social is traditionally about kind of like status and and you know it, there's different dynamics at work on the social place to it. So seeing those two interact and Connie was talking about different categories that you want to share more broadly or less broadly, it becomes much more kind of the cultural layer becomes much more important. And kind of, you know, what people associate with different types of status, what people are comfortable sharing, like that becomes much more important in the social commerce world. And so I think the great companies will be the ones that not only understand kind of like the product experience layer and the distribution and marketing and everything like that, but they also have a really good sense of kind of that that social slash status level as well and kind of how that interacts with product. 
totally agree on that, Darcy, with culture. Totally agree with that. Nate, are you seeing interesting applications of that through the brands you work with via the Talent and Opportunity Fund? Yeah, I mean, it's core and central to the thesis. Um, Like, we're not just looking for influencers. A big part of what we're looking for is uh, entrepreneurs that are building businesses um, outside of the traditional Silicon Valley networks. And the reason why that's interesting to run as an experiment is because you're looking for entirely new ideas that kind of haven't been created inside of the same pools of thought. And so you're going to see cultural applications to existing categories, potentially expanding the entire category, right? Um, I mean, these cultural feedback loops that we're seeing, they really do capture value and bring in audiences in new ways. Um, And I think for us, when you see creators developing products and services for their fans, um, it's it's a very, very um, like sticky experience for the fans. And it's really keying in on some consumer trends specifically around like ownership and collaboration and then the individualism. And I'll kind of be more clear here um, with ownership and collaboration. It's not just content marketing. And I think some of the stuff around influencers has been misunderstood as kind of super powered content marketing, but it's more of a, con- a conversation between the influencer um, and the creator and the audience themselves. And the, f- the feedback loop is like so much faster, right? And it creates a sense of ownership in the product itself that's being developed because the, you know, the, um, the fans of this brand now feel a certain sense of loyalty, community, and satisfaction in that they helped develop this, uh, this product. Like we invested in a company called Pamper Nails and um, Vivian, she's an excellent entrepreneur. She didn't even have a website or an app she was taking orders through her Instagram at first, which was she's creating content along with these other nail techs. And the premise of the business is, is that they connect um, these nail artists with enthusiasts that love these nails. And she co-creates content with these, um, these nail artists. And then in the comments, they're basically getting product feedback. Like these should be shaped a different way, or maybe they should be shorter. Or if you're trying to do this style, you should do that. And they come back with a new video saying, hey, we listened to you and here's how we're making them now. And then converting all of that energy into actual orders. And she started getting in plain text credit card numbers in her DMs and to a point where she couldn't keep up with it. And that's how she knew she had a business. And she finally built a website, which we encouraged her to do. But to the point of ownership and collaboration with your fans, not just being content marketing, but actually being a conversation about how the brand should be built. And, you know, you don't just have just like very, very satisfied buyers at that point in time, you have people who feel like they co-own the brand with you. And then the other trend being individualism, um, which is a huge trend in consumer culture right now. And we've seen kind of sparked by, you know, new streetwear brands over the last 10 years, where it's like the new kind of trend is to be anti-trend, right? Or, you know, so which is very ironic <laughs> to say. Um, but then you started seeing these really ironic mashups of brands like DHL doing something with like Pyramas or something like that, where they would take like these really ironic brands and just smash them together. And the whole idea was like... DHL, the shipping company? Yes. Yeah, to do stuff like (laughs) that. Or White Castle was doing something with a streetwear designer. And the whole idea is to like break the brand, to make the brand. But it's individualism at the end of the day. And people want these platforms. And this is why, you know, I we see these new platforms that are coming up and Verishop is a part of that. And there's a few we've seen, like Clothia, Trill Market, Pietra even does it, which is one of our, our portfolio companies. 
which is these new up and coming emergent brands that offer scarcity and a unique thing that nobody else is wearing um, actually means more than me wearing a pair of Nikes that everybody else is wearing and has become this new consumer value, which is why you're seeing these platforms that are kind of enabling entrepreneurs that are individuals and are unique and are independent. They're starting to emerge now because of that wave of individualism that's kind of sweeping over consumer culture. So culture is a huge part of what's driving a lot of this individualism and the connectivity between fans creating that super fast feedback loop. And with TXO, we think like with our thesis, we can really get to that. And we're seeing a lot of that. So it, it is a really exciting time. That's a really interesting just like set of trends because, you know, we take that all the way and it's sort of the, the death of, uh, of like mass consumerism in a way. Like you get to the world where everything is personalized and you're able to have those feedback loops with the brands that you resonate and everyone's rocking different gear. That's almost like, you know, a handful of folks have that uh, and, and it's very meaningful to them. Uh, you know, clothing is a natural place to start, but broaden that across many different types of products could be a really, really interesting future. I'm actually curious, Jess, like, have you seen anything change in the last couple of years, even around like your ability to turn around new products and the manufacturing side? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that actually the, the concept of the brand and sort of like the way that we set up our business model was conceived to, to do it sort of opposite of the way that it's traditionally been done. You know, normally you're kind of designing on a cycle that's like 12 to 18 months um, ahead of schedule. And for us, like we're very um, sort of like pre-order driven and very drop heavy driven business. And we have new arrivals that drop every month. Um, and it's a broad base of SKUs, but it's a wide breadth and low depth. And, and kind of speaking to um, the point where that was just being made around kind of individualism. I think the, the reason for the variety is important, right? Like not everybody wants to be seen wearing the exact same product. And so for us, like the diversity of product that we offer is actually really important as well too, because we feel like that's something that connects um, our customer to sort of what we do. Um, but we're also extremely nimble about how we actually inventory that product because um, it has to be demand driven. Um, and you have to have to build that into your infrastructure to begin with in order to be able to be that fast. The whole kind of stack is something, Connie, that you've talked about and been looking at recently as well, which I think as a consumer is not something that, you know, we, we have to pay a lot of attention to, but it sounds like there's a ton of innovation happening there along the supply chain side of things and the way data can can inform, um, you know, what's what's made and then also the speed with which you can get something to market, which is which is cool. Connie, I don't know if you want to share anything more there. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely something that makes it harder for physical retail stores to compete on. Because if you think about um, fashion, so much of it's around newness and selection. And again, having the item that not everyone else is already wearing. And for those types of products in particular, it's hard on a physical retail store because they don't know how many of those items to buy. And they therefore cannot put as many new SKUs into each store. Um, nearly as fast as a digital storefront could. So any tech-driven fashion brand should always be able to outcompete a physical store in terms of selection and number of SKUs. So looking forward, I would say as the founder of a digitally native brand looking to grow, like what, what areas of innovation are you most excited about and what do you see transforming your business in the next, let's say, five years? 
I think it's it's really engaging conversations around sustainability and responsibility becoming table stakes for all brands because more and more I think our customers want to know what's going on under the hood in terms of making our business more responsible. And I use the word responsible because it encompasses things like sustainability, diversity, inclusion, and so many other things. Um, so I think that for us, like what we're seeing is a focus shifting away from greenwashing marketing, you know, because customers are becoming more savvy about what it truly means to be sustainable if you're talking about building a truly sustainable supply chain uh, and toward a place where brands can actually, they, they can and should be actually more honest about their processes and progress. Um, so to me, it's a little bit about kind of shifting toward that sort of like broader responsibility as an organization and, and kind of like what what role a brand, a brand plays in, in, in the community that they serve. Um, so that's not necessarily kind of like a tech trend per se, but I think it's something that that actually drives a, a meaningful change sort of in how people operate. Very interesting. Imran, what about you? What do you think is sort of most transformative over the next, let's say, three-year time horizon? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the amount of fragmentation or uh, democratization of products that's happening, you know, thanks to... Uh, platform like Shopify, you know, millions of merchants now building product and at the same time, a lot of the creators who are creating product. And, and I think the biggest challenge, you know, that needs to be solved is how can we make it discoverable and how can we connect the brand creators because they are influencers also to, with their fan base. And, uh, I don't, I don't think that, you know, 10 years from now, we'll live in a world that search is the only way to find product. And there will be many ways to discover product. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're going to see a lot of interesting discovery uh, function that will be built, whether it's a video, whether it's a feed or whether it's something else. And, and then I think uh, that's the problem that I think a lot of people are working on and we are also working on. And, and I think that'll be a very interesting area to focus on. And because I think if you look at on the digital content side, we moved away from search to a lot of the uh, search volume actually moved on discovery. And I think that's going to happen in commerce. Yeah, I feel like we haven't even touched on in this conversation could be a whole other conversation, you know, personalized ranking and how that could be improved, right? You know, me not needing to filter for, you know, this size genes specifically, but but me going onto a platform and seeing what I want based off of all my other purchase history, right? It's all there. You guys can figure it out. Uh, the text is a challenge. Yeah, I think the biggest challenge on commerce is it's a little bit different than digital content. So in a digital content, you know, like, when on Snapchat, you know, if you'd like sports and if I give you sports content, you are pretty probably pretty happy. But on shopping, you know, people go high, low, you know, in a many different directions. Like what you buy for your work is very different than what you do for going out, what you do for when you go out with your in-laws, and at the same time what you buy for your home. There's a lots of variety. So I think it really the one of the biggest challenge for personalization on commerce is you really have to understand the intent well at the moment you are shopping. And that's what I think is a really interesting challenge at the same time, interesting opportunity that on a content, you know, people who like politics, they like politics, people who like sports, they like sports. So you can segment them very fast. But if you want to be a broad platform that sells lots of different categories, you it's a there's a twist gets a little bit interesting. I, I can't help but laugh a little when you throw what you wear to meet your in-laws in the mix of a of a particular type of outfit, but you're so true. Uh, 
All right, Brandon, let's wrap kind of with you. Um, what are you excited about for the next three years? What trend do you see as most impacting Shopify's business? Yeah, I I actually want to plus one what Jess said. I think uh, I think both COVID and what that exposed around global supply chains and great just increasing our awareness of where things come from, uh, as well as climate change, which is you know our generation and, and the future generation's biggest. Uh, problems, uh, where sustainability, buying local, um, buying ethically and, and voting with, uh, voting for your values with your dollars is, is, is a mega trend for sure. And I think that that ties into individualism and personalization. So it's sort of like a culmination of all the themes. So that, that from yes. just like a pure, uh, commerce perspective, I think is, is really, um, gonna persist for a while, like more than three years, like decades out. I think that in the three-year time frame what I think what we we start to see is that uh, more more D2C brands are going to have to increase their LTV for each of those customers because the saturation in online advertising, like it's pretty difficult today to have a transactional like one-time purchase or even two-time purchase business in D2C because of the cost of acquisition being so high. And I think that, uh, everyone's want of of finding the right brand to buy from and all the different criteria that matter now along like voting for their values and sustainability and whatnot means that consumers are going to more find a smaller group of brands that they resonate with and stick with them for a very long time so it's going to move more towards like almost a subscription uh mentality or subscription model around d2c and i think that that's something uh we're going to see a lot more so like you know Take the average consumer, the number of brands they'll buy from in the future, I think will actually drop, but they'll increase the frequency across those brands. I'll throw, I have to, I'll throw I have one to. more. Sorry, I'll, I'll throw one more kind of trend in to, to follow with it. And I think we talked a lot about kind of like democratizing commerce and how much easier it is to create a brand. And I think over the last five years, you've seen kind of the people who can create content and can build an audience have really kind of thrived in that atmosphere. I think over the next kind of three to five years, you're going to see the people who can build kind of real communities. And to Justin Brandon's point about kind of values and identity and everything like that, I think you're you're, you're going to see this next wave of brands really built around community rather than just around kind of audience content and entertainment. Yeah, and I totally agree with with that as well, Darcy. And I will also say that um, with the enablement layers being built, um, you're going to see huge mega solopreneur brands, m- meaning one or two people building on a massive amount of value based upon building the community that Darcy talked about, where we're going to see these really big, huge businesses that are just a couple of people, maybe only one person, um, because of what these enablement layers offer and because of the distribution that they control and the audience that they have a connection to. And so I think we should get prepared to see really, really huge solopreneur brands. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. This is this is awesome. Kind of makes me want to shop. Um, we're at time, so I'm going to uh, play some outro music and, and let us wrap, but would love to have you guys back at some point. This was fun. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon. Thanks for hosting. Thank Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me.